It's happening around the world. Protesters are tearing down monuments to the past, statues erected in another era. And it's happening here too. Hamilton City Council contractors this morning removed British Army Captain John Hamilton from the centre of town after a formal request from the Waikato Tainui Iwi. But are we destroying the past or correcting the historical record? Yes, it is a part of history, but it's for uh, Māori people, it's not a good part of history. So why are we glorifying it for Māori people to see that every day? And we believe that he is responsible for a lot of the atrocities that happened to our people. I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail, we're talking problematic legacies, institutional racism, and how to respectfully memorialise a blood-stained past. There's new momentum behind this discussion, stemming from outrage over the death of George Floyd in the US. But this conversation isn't new. Not in New Zealand, anyway. The call to remove statues and place names that honour figures from New Zealand's history is gaining momentum. Newspapers around the country are reporting names and monuments coming in for renewed attention. A Northland iwi leader says the vandalising of cultural statues is disturbing. Earlier this year, a rangatane carving in Manawatu Gorge Reserve had its wooden penis chopped off by a local who found it offensive and too big. Just last week in Gisborne, a statue of James Cook had the words Pākehā thief and this is our land scrawled on it. A Gisborne councillor says the vandalism of a statue of James Cook is an act of activism that prompts healthy debate about New Zealand's history. So... Maybe it's helpful to look at why we actually erect statues. What purpose are they supposed to serve? Grant Morris is a senior lecturer at Victoria University and resident historian on RNZ's Afternoons programme. I think it goes all the way back to ancient times and you can read in in the ancient texts and different societies about statues that they've created for uh, real people and and, um, gods and goddesses and so it's very much uh, a human a human thing, which is seen throughout the ages. I suppose what we're seeing in some of the Western societies today is statues that were built during you know, a period of European dominance and during a period of colonialism. And there was definitely a, if you like, a an uptake or an increase in statue building around about the 19th century, early 20th century. And we don't have so much of it today, at least not in the uh, kind of let's make it as you know like as possible. We tend to, if we do have statues today, tend to go for perhaps more abstract mm-hmm. uh, approaches or perhaps more the memorial approach where it, you know, it's not a likeness of a person but some kind of other structure or sculpture which is remembering them. Are there many? Are there many historical statues here? That's a good question. I, I always try when I'm in a new place in New Zealand, and over my, I like to, to, to look and see how many I can find, you know, how many memorials, wherever there's a memorial or a statue, I'll go and have a look. And I was actually on the Historic Places uh, Trust website today, and I you know, put the keyword in of statues, and it doesn't necessarily come up just with statues, mm. so you've got to, it's hard to get an exact number, but there were, you know, we're, we're talking in the hundreds you know, dotted around New Zealand as well. Obviously, most of them are in the major centres, but, you know, there are some statues in some some very small towns as well. I wouldn't say we have a huge amount per capita in New Zealand, but we definitely have 
quite a few. And uh, there, you know, if you look at the dates at when they were made, there was definitely a golden age, if you like, of, of putting up statues in New Zealand that you know, late 19th century into the early 20th century in particular. Why do you think that is? Did anything happen in that particular kind of era that, that evoked that kind of um, patriotism? Because are we talking are we talking late Victorian times there? Yep, and into Edwardian and that, that early part of the 20th century as well. And I think what was happening was that it was a colonial society which considered that it was coming of age. So it was becoming more settled. It had been a very tumultuous period in the 19th century uh, with... Uh, obviously the New Zealand wars in the 1860s, but also the long depression through the 1880s. You know, it had been a tough time. And coming out of that, I think the, you know, new generations as well, who were the children of the original settlers, were looking back and saying, well, who are our founding uh, people that we want to uh, memorialise? And one way we can do that is, is through statues. Now, there's a big obvious red flag about that perspective. Those colonial-era British figures, George Grey, James Cook and so on, they weren't the original settlers, but their statues went up anyway, symbolic of the Pākehā ruling class making decisions on who was or wasn't commemorated according to their own worldview. You could say these statues are about memory. How do you remember the past, and how does that differ from one culture to another? Joanna Kidman is a sociologist at Victoria University of Ngāti Maniapoto and Ngāti Raukawa descent who studies that very question. So for Māori um, memory, it's not usually about statues, um, although it, it is sometimes. I mean, earlier this year, we saw uh, the statue of Dame Fina Cooper was unveiled at Waipuna Marae. So you know, sometimes it is about um, statues, but more often um, Māori commemoration, Māori remembrance, it's there in the way that whānau tell and retell really important um, histories when they see each other, like when they're at Tangi or at trust meetings in Waitangi tribunal hearings, you hear those those memories being talked about on on Marae. Um, one thing that that is a really important part of uh, Māori life for for many people is Wānanga. So what you have is people going on field trips um, to different places where important events have taken place, and so there's quite a lot of of knowledge that's exchanged there too. Um, but also Māori memory is stored in Waiata, um, Whakairo and Pepiha. Uh, it's it's uh, comes across in Whaikorero. So the tribal archive looks a little bit different from a bronze statue on a on a granite plinth. The commemoration, the memorialisation of of those histories, those stories that get passed on over time, it happens in a whole lot of different um, cultural formats. Both Morris and Kidman agree that using a statue to represent a layered history is kind of like using a single frame of a film to tell the whole story. Take Captain James Cook, the statue of whom stands in Gisborne at the reserve at the Custom House Street end of Awapuni Road. He is a crucial part of New Zealand's history. But the effects of colonisation stretch into today and will likely persist for years to come. So would it be good if his name were written out of our past? You know, in the past we've had this kind of three cheers for empire, God save the king or God save the queen sort of approach. Captain Cook was the great discoverer of New Zealand. 
that doesn't always work terribly well on the ground in the 21st century. So the question really becomes, is public history really mostly about great men or great moments in history? Um, And if it is, which I actually really doubt, do we have to recognise that by casting them in bronze and sticking them on a plinth, Mm. as we've we've done with Captain Cook? So it's always going to be a very highly selective um, process about who and what we remember and what we we choose to to forget. But then, you know, again, I think it's important that we teach that way of that historical thinking, thinking critically about the past at school so that there's an awareness that the the violence that was glorified and justified and celebrated at the time um, is something that never happens again. And so I think that's about creating an educated... um, society in New Zealand where we can talk about you know the the complexities of history uh, without descending into slanging matches. Last week a statue of John Hamilton was removed from Civic Square in Hamilton following a request from the Waikato Tainui Iwi. He's a controversial figure too, a regiment leader at the Battle of Gate Pa during the New Zealand Wars and a murderous asshole according to local Komatua Taitumu Maipi. So how did Joanna Kidman feel seeing that piece of history, unappetising as it is to many, carted away? You know, it's an incredibly complex situation and for Māori there isn't a single answer. And the reason for that is that the the colonial violence that some of these statues represent, and that is very certainly the case with Hamilton, they affect Māori communities in very different ways. Um, so, you know, we saw, again, just thinking about the 250 commemorations, which coincided with the arrival of Captain Cook in 1769, we saw that some hapu were willing to engage with the commemorations, with the replica of the endeavour when it sailed into their harbour, but others refused to do that. And I think this is very much the case with, with the statues, with the Hamilton statue. For some groups, the trauma, um, the grief and the anger, it is ongoing, and people want those statues removed, and that's an entirely valid um, response. Other groups within Māoridom are very keen for those statues to remain, but what they want is to have more context around them. So, you know, for some groups, they want to keep them there as a, as a reminder that these these histories haven't been resolved and that, that Māori are, are still living with the consequences. So, you know, there's even within Māoridom, there are differing views about how we engage with these statues and and um, with these aspects of our past. And, and this is not surprising. There is no central committee that is handing down directives about how we think about the past because it did affect people in such radically different ways. You can't write the bad out of history. Lots of history is bad. And you also can't take away historical context. Lots of stuff that's frowned upon today, like, you know, stealing a whole country, was pretty par for the course back in the day. So how does an historian approach these sorts of questions and figures? So as a historian, the first, at least in the the way that the historians have been traditionally trained, the first thing you do is you'll remind yourself that you're not there to judge people on the uh, morals of the present. Uh, Now, that doesn't mean that you can completely ignore the morality that we all have, that society has, that we have personally. It's going to be there subconsciously, but you make an effort not to uh, judge everyone by 
what you would think is right and wrong today. Otherwise, if if you if you do that, then you end up, uh, you know, by by by, I suppose, an ahistorical approach. So instead of saying, well, what was the context of that time? What were the social, economic, cultural, uh, political? Uh, what nature of of that time? How did it affect that person? How were they viewed at the time? Uh, and you know, to what extent can we say, well, absolutely, there is an objective wrong there. As a historian, you know, you, you're very careful not to do that. And the and in New Zealand, that historiographical debate, the the way in which we talk about history, historiography, has been most pronounced with the Waitangi Tribunal Report. Mm-hmm. and the way in which the tribunal, by its statutory obligations, has to, to a large extent, view the past by the morality of the present because it has to see whether there have been breaches of the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi um, as of you know the, the 1975 statute. So uh, that's been very controversial amongst the historical community. What does it mean for our history if we're taking it from a present, what we call a presentist approach, but on the other hand, you know, it wouldn't be human not to make some judgments uh, and to be completely, um, you know, I suppose, uh, devoid of, of any judgments of the past mm. because, you know, there obviously um, have been in the past uh, by anyone's reckoning uh, terrible things done and they need to be identified and we need to, need to make sure that they don't happen again. But again, this throws up inconsistencies. Most historians in New Zealand are graduates of universities with inherently Pākehā structures of learning and scholarship. And most people don't think in the ways historians are taught to think. We're more emotional. Most of us are less widely informed. And while we might be debating these statues more widely as a country now, Pākehā have pretty much had a monopoly on public discourse in New Zealand for the past 170 or so years. After all, there was no consultation when the Zealandia statue in Auckland went up in 1920, memorialising the brave men belonging to the imperial and colonial forces and the friendly Māoris who gave their lives for the country during the New Zealand wars. So when we talk about what should happen to these statues, shouldn't the Māori perspective be at the forefront? Why does it matter at all what Pākehā think when Māori viewpoints on these statues were never considered in the first place? Because Māori have been shut out of those conversations for a very, very long time, I think there there is a time that that will hopefully come where where those voices come in, and that is going to feel very threatening for some people, because you know we haven't had these histories taught in schools. People aren't always terribly familiar with them. They hear about some really terrible things that have happened, some really shocking events. And they feel they don't know how to feel about it. They don't know how to have a conversation because they're still working through their own feelings of shame or guilt or regret or anger that that these things have happened. So until we can find ways of having those conversations with with each other, I think you know I, I think we're just at the beginning of that. Um, there's a way to go with it yet. Do you think it's possible to have a civil conversation? as a country about this, given how polarising it is and the strength of feeling on, on both sides and how how toxic the discussions can actually turn? You know, I think um, these conversations often do become really toxic. And again, I think um, 
that's partly because we don't have ways of talking to each other about these difficult things. But one of the things that we have noticed through the Marsden Project that I'm doing alongside um, Dr O'Malley is that there is a kind of shift in the public conversation that, you know, there are more and more people who are starting to ask about what happened in the past and are willing to own some of the really difficult things and that's partly because for some people for for Pākehā they know that they have a history in this in this country in this whenua on this land they know that some of those the actions of their own ancestors may have been really difficult but they're wanting to know about it they they are sick of the silences and I think We've had we've been led in many ways by young people in New Zealand. I think we can take great hope um, from them. The Otarahanga uh, College petition uh, that was taken by secondary school students to remember the the New Zealand wars has has been had enormous impact on um, on the public conversation. I think it's opened up a whole lot of um, new ways of talking about these things. Look, we've got such a long way to go, but I do think that more and more people are wanting to come on board and hear these histories, not least so that they can retrieve their own ancestors from, from those silences. Countries around the world with similarly complicated pasts have dealt with these questions in different ways. The former Soviet Union destroyed a fair few statues of Stalin, but many more were grouped together and put in museums where the stories behind them could be told in greater detail and placed in a wider context. So what sorts of approaches could we take here? I think where there is a perspective missing, and there is perspectives missing in relation to these statues, we can provide that in different ways. And, you know, just to give you some examples, there are messages, um, you know, on these statues. There are ways of, you know, talking about it or, you know, you could add something to it to give it more balance. You could add another statue next to it or memorial next to it. Uh, You could, in some circumstances, um, this is what's happening in some places in the States, you could remove it and put it in a museum. So I, you know, I don't think that should be the first port of call, but I think that's an option. So it's not hiding it. It's saying this is not really working in terms of it being in the middle of your town square. Mm. Um, so therefore we put it in a place of history, yeah. uh, in a museum. Recontextualising it in a sense, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's another option as well. I mean, the trouble is, is when you destroy it, when you take it and you throw it in the river and you say, let's forget it ever happened, then you're in danger of forgetting your history. Then you're in danger of suppressing uh, different perspectives. You're in danger of, I suppose... Um, yeah, I suppose wiping out um, the discussion that I think is really important mm. to have. Joanna Kidman has a slightly different view. She says one of the mistakes many Pākehā make is thinking of Māori as a single, contiguous group. And that's not the case. Different iwi, different hapu will view statues in different ways. She shares the view of the University of Auckland's professor Margaret Mutu that decisions on the future of controversial statues should be decided upon by the hapu upon whose land the statues sit? Well, you know, I 
I, again, I think it's really important to go to the people, to the descendants of those who experience the insult or the injury or the violence, and for them to lead those those discussions about how those traumatic events um, in their own past are, are represented. So I would always say, go to go to Hapu to to lead those conversations, and that kind of comes nicely back to um, Professor Mutu's, com- Mutu's com- um, comment about how some some are going to want them to be taken down, others will be happy with them staying um, in place so long as there's a bit more context around them. It's going to be different from place to place. There's not going to be a single answer. And I think, you know, in a way that's that's a nice thing, that, that we don't have to have one answer, that it's going to be something that's adaptable to the people in those places. Not many conclusive answers here. And one big question does spring up, which is how we memorialise history moving forward. Statues have their place. They can be beautiful and significant. They stand the test of time. So should we simply stop creating statues for fear of them becoming problematic sometime in the future? Joanna Kidman's actually working on this question as we speak. She and historian Vincent O'Malley are working on a project supported by the Marsden Fund, exploring how the New Zealand wars have been remembered and forgotten over time and how they should be commemorated in the future. In recent years, um, the artist Nick Tupara uh, has created some really magnificent, really thought-provoking public artwork. And I think of absolute note here, there is one absolutely extraordinary um, public art installation that he did, which did create... A historical figure, and that was Tamaro. And Tamaro was a, a rangatira who was killed by the crew of the Endeavour um, in the moment of Captain Cook's first encounter with the people of this land. So it was an absolute bloodbath. Um, and I happened to be in um, in the area with my research team last year during the Tuya 250 commemorations and this extraordinary artwork had recently been unveiled around that time. So we were there when the day that the um, the Endeavour replica arrived and afterwards we went and visited this installation of Tamaro and it sits above the harbour, it's huge. And we were there at a time of day when the sun was shining through it, so it cast this huge latticework of shadows across the ground. And while we were there, there were all of these Māori families who came to visit this installation because it was of their tūpuna, of Tamaro. And so they turned out to spend time with um, Tamaro, who's represented in this huge installation. So there were parents and children and grandparents, and they all wanted to have their photo taken um, with it. So you saw these little boys, little girls, literally standing in the shadow of their their ancestor. Um, And they were asking for photos to be taken, so there were boys assembling to do the haka. Um, There were girls doing these absolutely beautiful pukana. Um, And it was completely spontaneous. So there was this heartfelt outpouring of emotion as families came and went. And honestly, it was it was an extraordinary uh, thing to watch. So there are, there's the way that Māori are creating and transmitting memories of those who have passed is happening in quite new and exciting ways.
That's it for today. I'm Emil Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, leave us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Blair Stagpool and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Grant Morris and Joanna Kidman. Ka kite ano.